Hey guys. Hi. No, it's my part. So, hey guys, welcome to the latest scoop of Geek Yogurt. And today no. with me is Sanjay. No. Who actually bullied me into talking about space technology. I first of all, I didn't bully you into anything. You literally bullied me into talking about space technology. Since wait, wait oh, since wait. you bullied me into talking about it, what do you have to what do you have to say for it? What do you mean what do I have to say about it? I, I mean, mean I mean it is space and there is technology. How are they even related? What do you mean? How are they even? Okay, I, I, that is, that, <laughs> is inc- that is incredibly dumb. But uh, I can say that. Well, maybe you're talking about the extent of yeah, the relation so, between. Yeah, no, I mean, see, because you know, we, until today we've you know spoken about operating systems. You've spoken about you know IoT, which is like very consumer grade things, right? That's right. Yeah. So I mean, like, how different is it? Like, I don't think consumer grade technology is used in space tech. It's probably like multiple terminals and shit, like from what I've seen in movies. But from what you've seen in movies, but uh, to be fair, it's less about the data that you're collecting from space, more about how you're going to collect that data from space, right? Get, getting data back is as simple as just you know transferring data that you get from a satellite camera or something like that, and then just putting it through a dish and transmitting it to Earth, and that's where you so collect ba- and so basically, image, right? So basically what Google is doing with our lives? Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> much. Really, really, honestly, that's pretty much all it is. Data collection is not the big issue. The, 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 I mean, rather, data transmission is not the big issue, right? I think the, the, the reason why, you know, for me personally, why I chose to go or rather uh, make this episode about space tech, right, is because it combines three of my favorite things to do, and that is research, technology, and... Bullying sp- me. No, that is actually... actually yeah, I, I, I meant my statement. I mean, the four things I do, uh, you know, space, technology, research, and bullying you. I love those four things. Those, yeah. like my tenet, yeah. right? And, you know, I, I think, especially from the recent events in, um, you know, astronomy and cosmology, you know, the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, I really wanted to talk about that because I, it's, it's absolutely inspiring. So, Bala, I want to ask you a question. Okay. What are you looking at right now, in the present moment? Like, physically, what are you looking at? A boat. <laughs> Come on. There's <laughs> only a boat there. It's a painting. Okay, okay, okay. You're seeing the painting of a boat, right? Yeah. And, but are you actually seeing the physical thing over there? No, I'm seeing a mental image of it, you know, reflected in my retinas and then, you know. You're somewhat over there. See, that painting, so that painting from you, from your retinas, is about one meter away and light travels at a speed of about three times 10 power 8 meters per second, right? So technically, you're always looking at this painting that's one meter away in the past, right? Three nanoseconds to be exact. Of course, you know, we don't really perceive that difference in time due to how negligible it is. I mean, imagine if we perceived every single nanosecond of time. That would make life absolutely agonizing. (laughs) But the point is, you know, it's so negligible. But the beauty of this aspect of light, right, that, you know, it has a fixed constant speed. And the, the, the beauty of this is that it allows us to peer into the very beginnings of the universe, right? The first light that we observed from the edge of the universe, you know, took 13 billion years to come from here, to, to, to get there, right, to come here. And so the image that we obtain from this old and ancient light turns out to be 13 billion years ago, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful euphemism of sorts. You look into the sky and you will see the past unfold. And if you look far enough into the past, you can see all of, all of creation, the beginning of creation, the Big Bang, no, you, you just you just make you just like sound make God's life sound no, agonizing. No, no, look, look, look. Because gods are supposed to you know perceive <laughs> the nanoseconds of every single it, moment. I would feel I would feel sympathy if they were real. 
I mean, they are real. I, I that's I, that's I, a topic I, I, for another day. That's <laughs> not a that's not a scoop of geek yogurt we're ready to uh, <laughs> to scoop out in the near future. Or I mean, the, the, the I mean we might get cancelled. We know? might get uh, yeah, but you know, hey. I mean, but everybody hey, has it, an opinion. Hey, atheists, you know, we support you. Yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, not we. Sad supports you. I support. I mean, I don't support. I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm very agnostic. So. Sure. Anyways, you know, you, but back to the Big Bang, right? You probably know about the Big Bang theory, whether or not the actual scientific you mean theory. The, you mean or, the show? Yeah, you know, whether or not the actual scientific theory or the terrible sitcom. It's, it's a, a good it's an objective. It's, it's a objective. Good sitcom. It's, it's absolutely sitcom. objective. See, the first season was good. Don't even bother. Okay. The point is, this theory <laughs> is as famous as you know, E equals M C squared. I mean. Everybody in their mother knows what that is, right? You don't even have to understand it. You know, oh, it's that famous, it's that famous equation. Yeah, wait, wait, wait. wait. Thomas Alva Edison, right? <laughs> I have no strong opinion one way or the other. Okay, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's not a joke. He's it's actually a... this dumb in real life. No. You'd only know if you you talk to him on a daily basis. <laughs> See, the, the, basically, the, the fundamental gist of the Big Bang Theory is the assumption that the universe was created from a single point. Right, a singularity of tremendous density and mass, and you know it exploded into the universe that we see today. We live in today, obviously. A massive right? fart. God. Uh, <laughs> uh, see, then you know while this is a very acceptable theory, it is it does have significant drawbacks, and explaining them in a single episode would be way too much of a drag. <laughs> no, but okay, but let's you know hmm. understand this, right? Right, right. So you're saying that you know the universe was a singular burst of it's energy. It's a theory. It's a theory, right? This. Right. And this theory was, you know, theorized using multiple factors, like let's say the materials around us, you know, the origin of origin of materials, which hmm. is, you know, identified through, you know, trial and basis, uh, trial and error. Trial and error equations, yeah. theories, so on, so, such and such. Yeah. So wait, so how, what, what do you think was used to, you know, identify these? Like, let's say even, let's say a rock, right? Hmm. A rock was saying, you know, it was carbon dated, hmm. you know, to a certain point of period. And then that was used in reference with other data from other places saying that all of these existed together at a point of time and these changed to a different um, composition. Composition, right? Right, right. So that's how they realized that. It, so and then they saw explosions do this, do this to materials. So mm. maybe it was a massive explosion that created X, Y, Z things, right? Right. So what tech do you think was used in this, all of this? So I think well, uh, if you're talking specifically about discovering the Big Bang, hmm. right? The the only real there was the only real tech that was used here is you know our observations of the sky, of the cosmos, of heavenly bodies, how they move, how they interact, and kind of so Excel files. No, 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 no not Excel. <laughs> Come on, man. No, but you know th- this was this was discovered you know in early 1900s. I mean exactly. Right? Excel, Excel was like godly so tech back in the I would say, I would say, I would say the most amazing part of our discovery, or rather our theory of the Big Bang, is the lack of tech that we use and not the tech that we use. I mean right? that's an interesting take. It right? is. It is. I think no, because we. I mean. You know, Einstein came up with, and Einstein, obviously, the scientific community, you know, came up with this theory using equations that, you know, just equations and math and physics and seeing how they relate to things that we see around us, like the Earth and the Sun's gravitational orbits and all all sorts of things. It, you know, was purely theorized. And it still is a theory. But, you know, again, it's all about finding the theory that fits the most, right? And on that point, the Big Bang Theory actually has a bunch of drawbacks, Right. Again, explaining them would be, you'd be dwelling way too much into cosmology. And, you know, that's not the topic of this. But the point is, 
in the 80s, right, a new theory, rather an addition to the Big Bang theory, was the cosmic inflation theory, right? Okay. So basically, let's say that you have, you picture this, okay, in my hand. Let, let's say you have a tennis ball, okay. right? Now, from your perspective, tell me the shape of this tennis ball. It's a sphere. It's a sphere, right? Now, if you take this tennis ball and expand it out massively to the size of the earth, right? You will see every single tiny, tiny strand that, you know, makes up massive mountains of terrain and valleys and all sorts of things, right? The point is, from a very small perspective, it just looks like a sphere, looks like a sphere right? It looks like a definite shape. But, you know, you explode these things out and they become massive, very, very distinct geographic features of a, of a tennis ball to and, an earth size. And look pixelated? It looks pixelated, but that's actually one of the biggest things about cosmic inflation theory, right? So if you, again, if you burst out a tennis ball to all the tiny, tiny details, it basically, the, the biggest, the most, you know, beautiful inference from this idea is that, you know, while in this tiny stage, in the stage of not a point of singularity, but a plane of singularity, right? A plane of infinite mass, of infinite density and infinite space that's clumped in. It's, it doesn't make sense like when you're talking about it intuitively, but mathematically, right? It's You're dealing with infinities. The point is, right? This plane of density at that time when before it you know, exploded out was basically a bunch of quarks and subatomic particles that were zipping around and popping oh, around. Wait, 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 wait. Hmm. A lot of unknown terms. <laughs> Look, all you've got to know about quarks is that they are it, it, atoms. What's smaller than that? You know, protons and new protons and neutrons and electrons. What's smaller than that are quarks and leptons. Okay. Right. So basically, and stuff we don't need to care about. Right now, it is important because okay. these these basically what this theory implies, right, is that in this early universe, these the quantum you know fluctuations, rather the basically particles this small. Okay, quantum fluctuation. Let's simplify it. Basically, very, very, very small fluctuations. Quantum. Rather, extremely tiny, what we can't see today. It, it you know, in, in a world in, that's small. Incre incredibly small and incredibly small change. Like, exactly. the size, size is also small. Amount of change is also small. But the amount of variables that it brings in the picture is massive. Exactly. So, at least... From that perspective, right, tiny, tiny fluctuations when bursted out into a massive space, i.e. cosmic inflation, right, create, you know, areas of high density and low density. And those areas of high density are places where, you know, mass clumps up together and forms stars. And that is, you know, how the universe came into existence. And from stars, obviously, you've got planets and you have, you know, from planets, you have life and you have Earth and you have your solar system and galaxies and all sorts of things, right? The point is, the most beautiful thing from this theory or what this theory implies, right, is that our universe, our existence, our solar system, everything came from tiny quantum fluctuations that we have no way of seeing with our own eyes. Got it. Right. And that's one of the most beautiful things about it. And another significant con consequence of this theory is something known as the cosmic microwave background. Right. So basically, abbreviated as CMB, it's think of it as the remnant light from the cause due to the Big Bang explosion, right? It's no wait 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 hmm. pause. Right. What do you mean remnant light? All right. So basically, what they theorize is that the explosion of the universe, the inflation of the universe, right, occurred at a speed much faster than the speed of light because it was technically not a part of the universe. The expansion was an external force acting on this infinite plane, right? It's a little hard to wrap your head around, but the point is it happened so quickly that, you know, explosion, the light that escaped, 
right? After a certain period of time. So after a certain period of time in the Big Bang's history, right? Light photon photons managed to escape from these massive clumps of, you know, mass that was at that time, right? And this light turns out to be remnant light or rather light that has escaped, you know, 300,000 years after the Big Bang. Okay. Right. And so that remnant light is present everywhere all around us. And that remnant light is in the form of cosmic microwave background. Right. And basically, you know, the, the reason why it's called, and, and one more thing that's really cool about this is that if you have a CRT, you know, a cathode ray tube. Yeah. It's old, old, old I was fixing that. <laughs> you're fixing that. <laughs> Sorry. You, you, you're fixing that. But uh, the point is CRTs, like these old ancient things, right? If you actually shifted the channel to a um, in-between channel, right, where you get static, a small, but a small portion of that static actually comes from cosmic rays that are surrounding us. Okay. So, you know, it's absolutely crazy how <laughs> the universe 13.4 billion years away still affects us today, right? And, you know, when yeah, we... Ima imagine the pollution that we create, how long it's going to affect. Oh, God. <laughs> Believe me, man. That is... Pollution as in light pollution. Or you mean like... No, generally how we're, you know, spoiling the ecosystem of the Earth already. Hey, look, we're all going to die in 50 years. So make, make hay yeah. while, while sun shining, am I right? I mean, we're again going to the reset point soon. You know, maybe we can, you know, find out the, you know, the reasons of existence... 50 years by 50 years, you know, I have strong opinions on that, but uh, for another day, reason of experience wise, but you know, the, the point is, uh, one more thing that you have to, one more, you know, great consequence of this theory is the, again, uh, when you talk about light as a general, in general, right? Light moves as a wave and a particle. The point is when light travels from, you know, remnant light, right? Old ancient light, when it travels and it hits us, when we perceive it through our instruments, through, you know, telescopes and stuff, right? This light actually shifts in frequency, right? Okay. It shifts in frequency, it shifts in wavelength okay. of light, right? So the light that we, that has been emitted from there might be visible in the visible spectrum, right? But now, since it's so old and it's been traveling for so long, right? It shifts into a longer wavelength. Okay. Or rather a... So, lower, go, so it goes hmm. outside the visible spectrum? Yeah. So we're okay. going outside the visible spectrum. So you, so it goes from visible then, which is, you know, a really, really fast wavelength, Got it. right? To a much more, to longer and longer wavelength. So visible to Got infrared it. to Got microwave, it. Got right? It. And hence the name cosmic microwave background right and and when we look at these stars when we look at the stars in the sky right it's the visible light of it's a visible spectrum of light that we observe but you know for objects that are millions and millions of light years away this red shifting phenomena starts to play a big role right the light travels such again it travels such a large distance that the wavelength is significantly shifted into lower wavelengths of light right and as a result if we need to look at the you know the stretches of deep space we need a different type of vision right, to observe the light from these regions, because obviously it's not, again, it's not in a visible spectrum, right, we need to look at the kind of devices that can observe infrared light, right, so essentially infrared is the next spectrum, right, next in line yeah. spectrum, and it's a longer wavelength of light, and it is, you know, it, and it's the kind of light that we observe to be billions of years old after, you know, obviously after it turns from visible to infrared, that is an indicator that, you know, it's ancient light, right? And, you know, we, we don't have that by by our na by nature. So how do we, you know, observe this light? Special glasses. Special, exactly. <laughs> you should buy special glasses. Don't ask what kind of glasses they are. <laughs> <laughs> probably, so, probably cost a billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be, dude. 
IR cameras are freaking expensive and they're crazy. Okay, I'm going to get into that a little later. But point is, we need yeah, those yeah. kind of things, right? But before we get to that, according to you, what was the most, you know, what according to you is the most unbelievable image you've ever seen from Deep Space? It doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of, you know, oh, it's a, such a beautiful image. But what is something that's absolutely mind-boggling to you? You want a funny answer or you want a normal answer? I, I, whatever was the most controversial answer because I'm more interested in that. <laughs> Please go ahead. I'm very, very excited to hear this. You know, maybe someone's house through satellite view. I'm saying from deep space. You know, the, the recent pictures that came out from James Webb telescope. Ah, right. The cosmic valleys. Yeah. Yeah. That is an absolutely beautiful picture. Right. And to me, so for me, I would say that the craziest thing that I've seen from deep space has to be an image of the M87 supermassive black hole. That okay. was, so in 2017, you know, the picture, the first ever picture of the black hole that was taken, right? And it's absolutely, you know, the most mind-boggling part about that is that how we managed to capture an object that emits no light, 55 million light years away, in the middle of a galaxy is one thing, right? How we managed to do that is one thing. And how the scientist Carl Schwarzschild predicted its existence a hundred years before without having, again, with the lack of technology, with just theories and with just equations and just math Bro. and physics, how did they manage to predict these things? Astrology. Astro I agree. <laughs> yeah, you just, gotta, you just gotta look at your uh, your, your zodiac sign. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's how he got it. Yeah. The guy, the guy just, you know, looked at his, his zodiac sign. It's like, oh, I'm going to discover a black yeah, hole. that's crazy. You know, a funny story. Uh, Dimitri Mendeleev, the guy who created the periodic, periodic table. Yeah. He imagined it in a dream and that's how he got the idea for it. I see. It's absolutely, it's pretty funny. But anyways, so back in, to... So Indian parents are way high in They are time. actually, that this is actually yeah. scientific like proof. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways... So guys, listen to your parents. To an extent. <laughs> <laughs> So, so anyways, you know, predicting its existence and the very fact that we even got that picture, 55, again, it's 55 million light years away, right? You, you No, I mean, so uh, I mean, a question, mm, you know, right? Mm. Let's say a black hole, right? Mm. So even though it's a, it's a black hole, there are objects around it, right? Mm. So can't it be sort of, you know, mapped through the objects around it? Let's say, okay, you know, let's look That is actually a very good question because that's know, exactly how we managed to take a photo of it. We didn't actually take... We, we basically didn't take the actual black hole because obviously it doesn't yeah. emit any light, right? But what we did is we took the picture of the surrounding you know, mass area. and no, the mass that, not surrounding, the, the mass that swirls into the black, black hole, you know, so because it sucks everything. How do you take a picture of a mass? No, not mass. I mean, like, the basically the mass that's swirling around is yeah. so fast and so, you know, violently moving that it, it, it just heats up, it burns up, and that light is, you know, again, it, it's just a high exposure shot. It's just a. God. It's a, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, pretty much it's not a high exposure. I mean, instead, instead of taking the traffic in Bangalore, uh, it's it's <laughs> not a high. I mean, in that in that respect, every single picture we have from space is yeah, a it's high, a high exposure shot. High exposure shot, but you know the way it was taken, the amount of data that's that's commendable. But something that something more recent that you know there's not been a lot of news about, and that I think is a close contender for a very simple reason, is a galaxy named GLASS Z13. GLASS hyphen Z13. Okay, GLASS is an acronym for something I honestly don't remember. Is sounds like super. An, sounds like an anime character. It sounds like an anime character. Yeah, but um, yeah. you know, at face value, it's it's you, if I'll I'll give you a description of what the picture looks like. Think of it's literally just a red like blob of paint think of okay. that 
Okay, over a black canvas. That's all it is. It's incredibly unclear. How much? Right? Is, how much is it worth? I don't know. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the point is, that's you know what, dude. There are a lot of things I like initially disagree with, but then you're absolutely right because you can actually just like, you can actually just like slap some paint on a canvas and sell it as fine art. No, no, it's it's not about the implementation. It's about how you understand it. You know, the, so basically, there's this picture of this amazing boat here, which just looks like a kid's. You know. Ba- yeah, basically, my brother. Look, this, my brother's at least it has a shape, right? At least it has so some definite no, characteristics. It's, it's about it's about how you know, explain it. even even a single point in a black um, canvas, right? Can be you know pictured as let's say your you know sort of your initial thought. Is it initial worth five million dollars though? I mean. I am not going to give it this. <laughs> Listen, point is, red blob, extremely unremarkable face okay. value, right? Except, you know, what makes this image so special, at least to me, is that it's formed from light that is 13.4 billion years old, hmm. right? It is quite literally the, potentially the oldest galaxy we've ever, you know, No, I mean, I mean, even the star, stars that we look at, right? It's hmm. not exactly the star with, the, the light probably was released like five days ago. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so even, even the sun is light we're seeing eight minutes ago. So we're never seeing the sun in its current state right now. Exactly. If the sun exploded right now, we wouldn't know until eight minutes later. Exactly. Or until we die instantly because of the explosion. I mean, that's better, but... That, that I mean, that's for another day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, it makes sense, right? Saying that, you know, something that is like extremely, extremely far away hmm. took 13.4 billion years to reach us. It did, but again, it's it's not the fact that it just reached us, right? It's the fact that we were able to collect it, again, in so much cosmic, you know, blurrying because there's so many billions of other stars, uncountably infinite amount of stars that's, you know, preceding this one galaxy or this one thing. Got it, How got we it. managed to get that from that distance is just, again, that's what I wanted to go into right now. You know what? What we need is a water break. Now let's enjoy Sunshine's. water break. Sipping water, you know. That's that's weird. And if you if you want to enjoy this content, come check out an Instagram channel where a reel of Sanjay sipping water will be uploaded. It's just so going to be a twenty. It's just going to be a thirty second video of me sipping water. Yeah, this is real, by the way. I, you, I just picked up the coffee mug. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was noticing, dude. Did you mix the water in your coffee? <laughs> I was very confused. But uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean. Water. It's the best. It's the drink of the champions, you can say. <coughs> uh, only idiots cough after <coughs> drinking water. And people with a cold. It's not my fault you have a cold. It's yeah. It's actually your fault. No, I mean, who asked us to come to a wee workspace? You. I am not even going to bother. Okay. All right. So, um, where do we not? Where do we stop off? Right, galaxy uh, glass. Uh, yeah, I mean we are back from our no sponsor break. No, from our no. <laughs> what do you mean? We have so many sponsors, so much funding that goes into yeah, this. Yeah, one from so your, much funding and yeah, your mom's and food, uh, your mom's food, uh, free WeWork passes, uh, um, strategically placed people who can get us in, etc., etc., etc. You know what? Leave that aside. That's that's sponsors. Talk. That's sponsor sponsor talk, but. Let's, let's get back to topic, right? So I was talking about uh, Glass A13. Uh, beautiful thing about it is 13.4 billion years old, right? At least the light that we're seeing so far, right? But, you know, how? How do we, you know, if it took so much effort in 2017 to get a photo of something that is only, you know, 
55 million light years away, how do we manage to get something that is 13.4 billion light years away, right? And to, to answer that question, um, it's simple. It's quite simple, really. Uh, we deploy $10 billion hyper-precise telescopes built over the span of 25 years of extremely top-notch engineering that are designed to operate in a comfortable minus 268 degrees Celsius, millions of kilometers from Earth. Meet the James Webb Space Telescope. It's simple, really. I mean, it's not that much. I'm just processing. <laughs> just processing. That is an apt way to put it. The point is, uh, the, the, the joke here is, if you didn't get from my, you know, masterful comedic timing no, is that it's just called being a stu being a retard on television dude you can't say that that's you can get cancelled for I'm, that I shit mean, man I mean you're gonna be on post production you can, you can, you can bleep this shit out I can bleep the <laughs> <laughs> back to the, back to the topic at hand the thing is you know JWST it's honestly it's a it's a man-made it's an artificial phenomenon honestly it's 25 years of a $10 billion project that they managed to get out and work. The, some of the things that I've read about this, the research about this is absolutely insane. But And you know, explaining everything about JWST today is a tremendous feat on yeah, its own. And no, it's quite yeah, literally going to need an entirely separate episode or uh, a series of episodes and, to do justice. And a more woke bala. And a more woke bala, exactly. I mean, he's never woke anyway, so that's going to be a little difficult. You're going to have to you know, buy a new model of a bala. It's going to take a few generations. And it I, is. And is. Uh, By the yeah. time, you know, it's the heat death of the universe. Mm, yeah, sure. Technicalities, but the or, point is... Or, or maybe I could produce an offspring who's more woke. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is the worst thing to happen to humanity. Bala offspring. Yeah, God. sure. The, the day that happens is the day everything falls to shit. Okay. Anyways, you know, to do, to do JWSC justice would take way too much time and frankly would take a series of episodes, right? So I'm just going to focus on a rough overview of how it works. The tech. We're getting to the tech. That's right. What you subscribed to our podcast for. I'm getting to it finally. 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 I know. But you know, I think... It's, it's, it's like that like tiny bit of... It's, it's like that crunchy chocolate <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a, like the milkshake. You know, like the water yeah, part which the has the actual, actual flavor. I get it. But look, you got to understand, you know. It's all about the context. Anyways, uh, to do it... Basically, I'm going to get into a quick you know, a rough but sophisticated overview of how it works. Okay. And let's start with something, you know, a lot more familiar. Laptops. So, Bala, now I know you're using an M, you know, an M1 MacBook Air, but you back had, when you had... Yeah, a, you had to mention that, right? Hey, it's your laptop. I'm not flexing. If you, for, for all, <laughs> yeah, for all you care, I'm flexing for you. So this should be, you should be thanking me, man. Be Flex, grateful. Flexing is never good. You're just basically jinxing me. I, I swear, if it just crashes next week, <laughs> you are, you're at fault. Oh yeah, I'm at fault. Yeah. I'm at fault for you're your buying, sloppiness. Yeah, you're buying me an M1 Pro. Because it's an crashed. M1 Pro? Yeah. But it's an Air. Yeah, doesn't matter. You're just giving me an upgrade. Okay. We'll discuss the details <laughs> as we go into the distant future. Yeah. However, you know, most, you know, what, according to you, is the biggest flaw of a laptop that's not an M1? Let's say, you know, let's say you're back five years and you have your shitty crap top. You know, what's, what, what do you think is the worst thing about it? The main crap? Other than operating system, like hardware-wise, right? Battery. Battery. RAM, RAM. I had like two gigs of RAM. In a, in a, in like an ascending, in a descending order, what is like the most to the least? Okay, first was storage. I storage. Had, I had a 5400 RPM hard drive. Hmm. So anything modern would take forever to load up. Oh yeah, that is a pain. And, yes, and it had two gigs of RAM. So even though, even if it could load up, it it's not. Yeah, it, load up. it can't handle it because most of it goes to swap, and again the swap is on a hard drive. 
don't don't bother yeah, about it and because all this is already power hungry enough mm-hmm. i had like a 23 watt hour battery mm-hmm. which barely lasted 15 minutes without power Okay. And okay. Sad backstory aside, <laughs> the point is we had a lot of problems. Okay, I did not have this many problems, but to me, uh, my biggest problem with laptops in general, right, has got to be heating, specifically thermals, right. I, I, I. The, the worst part, the biggest irony is that you know you call it a laptop, but the second you put it on your lap, you're going to end up with third degree burns on your lap. You know, it's see, it's the, the, the worst. The, I, the, the, I, the, the I hate laptops. The reason why I never mentioned heating. Hmm. Because it would shut down before you <laughs> <laughs> The point is, if you were, you know, even if your laptop was just enough to not shut down, you have heating to deal with. And I would argue that's much worse than the laptop actually working. Okay, the point is, right, it, 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 heating pain in the ass. You know, you could give you could give me, if I had to choose between a gargantuan fitted with the latest 4000 series NVIDIA GPU and a max.i9 and a decently spec'd out mid-tier laptop, I would, without a doubt, Choose the one that wouldn't leave me with, you know, freaking burns if I touch the bottom, right? And as it turns out, the engineers and scientists between JWST needed to deal with a similar problem, thermals. More specifically, the telescope needs to operate within an extremely specific range of, you know, temperature, specifically 40 to 7 Kelvin. Okay. And, you know, that is like... Wait, wait, wait. hmm. 47 Kelvin. 40... Two seven, so that's a range. Okay, seven to forty Kelvin. Same thing. You mentioned you mentioned the lower first. That is how the world works. The world okay. doesn't work according to you, sir. Okay, okay, fine, understood. I'm so sorry. I, I said forty to seven instead of seven to forty. My yeah. biggest and, flaw. And this is already God. in negative degree Celsius. No, people don't use Kelvin. People use Celsius. You know, normal people. Look, point Celsius. is, it's from it's around a range of minus two twenty Celsius to two sixty seven Celsius. Okay. Good. Extremely cold. Okay. Again, right? And so it's while a, it's anti thermals. No, it's <laughs> anti thermals. But no, no, I'm getting to why yeah. thermals make a big role here, or rather, the not anti thermal. The heat, right? And, uh, you know, while you, you might be wondering, wait a second, the t- temperature of space is only like, you know, 2.7 Kelvins, right? It's already cold enough. So, you know, this would be ideal, right? I assume yeah. that's what you're thinking. Uh, except, you know, you're forgetting about the colossal bo- burning ball of inferno at the center of a solar system, radiating massive amounts of thermal energy, which, you know, would prove disastrous for the JWST, right? So, you know, that, that, that leaves you to wonder, you know, what can you possibly do against such an extreme force? And the answer to this is strategic placement and some SPF 1 million material, right? So, so, so basically... Ba- basically hmm. sunscreen for... Yeah, exactly. Sunscreen <laughs> for the satellites. It's, it's, you know, you might think I'm like making... Uh, like, but this is an actual analogy that I, these scientists use. I know, I know. SPF 1 million, right? And basically, you know, to answer how they did that. So, first of all, strategic placement, right? The JWST's final destination point is known as L2 or Lagrange 2, okay. right? And it's a point just in front of the Earth. So, if this is the sun, right? Let's put a graphic for the people who are listening or okay. whatever. Just picture in your mind. Use your creative right if this is the sun right let's say sun is here and earth is in front of the sun over here right lagrange point is somewhere and then the moon is you know right next to the sun so think of it as like a single straight line sun earth moon right lagrange point is somewhere much much further away from the moon in front of you so it's the sun earth moon lagrange okay right and the special thing about the lagrange point is first of all or particularly this lagrange point right is first of all the sun the the most of the most Keep in mind, keyword, most of the thermal radiation from the sun is blocked up by the Earth, 
right? Because again, it's right in front of the earth, right? And the second thing is that it's a very special special point in the sense that it is a point of thermal equilibrium. I mean, that's right gravitational equilibrium, right? If you put a small enough object relative to the size of the Earth and the Sun, i.e., you know, our satellite, in this location, it will kind of rotate or, or revolve around a stable orbit around got that it, point. Got it, got it. Right? So, you know, this this is, you know, one of the biggest things, you know, keeping it away from the Sun, right? So that the actual telescope doesn't heat up. That is a big problem, right? So, so basically, hmm. the Earth becomes a decoy for all the radiation for the telescope. Decoy... Uh, what, what do you mean by decoy? I mean, sorry, it doesn't exactly mean anything, but hmm. point is Earth, uh, basically you're just using Earth as a cover for the telescope. Precisely. But however, you know, go back to my point, it's most of the solar radiation. It's not all of it, okay. right? For instance, uh, the Lagrange point two has a certain period of time, a 24 day period of time uh, per, I, I'm not sure if it's per year, but a 24 day period where this orbit is unstable and, you know, it might come into the vicinity of the sun. Got it. Right? And, and uh, basically, right, um, yeah, so, so basically this doesn't ensure always that solar radiation is blocked, right? And so this is where that SPF 1 million part comes to play, right? Alongside the actual telescope, so if this is the telescope, again, picture this, if your telescope is one half, the other half is the SPF 1 million, right? So think of, so basically the part that faces the sun is what is, think of it as a huge net, right? A net that is quite literally the size of a tennis court, right? That blocks and it reflects all the solar radiation back out, right? right? So this, so this thing always faces the sun, whereas the telescope always faces the dead, cold space, got it. right? So that it doesn't need. It's a very ingenious solution, right? And this shield, this quite literally, it's called a shield. This SPF one million shield is known as the multi-layer sun shield, and it consists of five extremely thin layers. 50 to 25 microns thick. To give you some perspective, I think that's about as thin as a hair, like a single strand of hair, right? 50 to 25 microns thick layer of, you know, plastic. No, I mean, they're mm -hmm. saying it as space. It should be light. It should be extremely light. Yeah. Right? And so this... And, and should be durable because... It should, exactly. And it's durable because it uses this material known as Kapton plastic, right? Okay. And this is an extremely tensile material and an extremely thin... Again, this is only 50 microns thin. Right. I've actually uh, heard about this sort of material. It's called self-healing plastic or something. Yeah, and you know what? This is actually the same stuff they use in high-end ribbon cables. Yeah, got it. So the the most the reason why they use it in ribbon cables and also in satellites is because this thing can withstand up to thirty-two thousand psi or pounds per square inch of pressure. Right. Got it. To give you some uh, context, that's about the same as. 10 times the bite force of a saltwater crocodile or the strongest bite force no in nature. Knows, no one knows what a saltwater crocodile it's, it's saltwater crocodile. It's quite self-explanatory. So basically, around, uh, let's say, five people can sit on it and nothing will happen to it. No, it's salt. No, no, not no. It's bite force. No, I'm talking in normal people terms. In normal people terms? Five people can sit on the cable. You could have 5,000 people sit on the cable and it okay. wouldn't do anything. Okay. <laughs> and and this, uh, this tensile material is, again, coated with another 100 nanometers of aluminum foil, literally aluminum foil, okay. to reflect as much thermal radiation. Okay. Additionally, the first two layers of the sun shield, so there are five layers, okay. right? The first two layers are coated with silicon, another 25, I think, 100 or uh, 25 nanometers of silicon. And the, the reason why the first two are coated with this is because silicon is a highly emissive substance, right? It emits out a lot of radiation through energy. 
However, it's you know not all because the first layer of the sun shield is still on average 140 degrees Celsius, right? You might think, oh wait, that's nothing compared to the sun. You have to understand this is 1.5 millions of million you know kilometers away, and it's also in the dead of space. Got so it. something heating up to 140 degrees Celsius is still incredibly high. And you know the and this also poses another problem because thermal energy could still transfer through the layers and affect the components, right? This is again solved due to number one leveraging the vacuum of space because again in the vacuum of space, uh, heat cannot be conducted through conduction or you know touching of matter, convection or movement of matter, but only through radiation, right? So you're already eliminating two sources of thermal radiation or uh, transfer of thermal energy, right? And the next thing that they do is the way that they're layered, right? Is that if the thermal energy from layer one goes to layer two, it is reflected off and thrown off from the gaps between the layers. Right. So, you know, again, uh, the way thermal radiation is deflected off is through the gaps between each layer. Right. So, you know, one problem is solved. Thermals or rather, you know, dealing with the problem of heating components. Right. Linus Tech Tips would be proud. He would definitely be proud. But he would be even more prouder about the next thing we're talking about. The very opposite. Cooling. Right. So another problem, you know, is that, okay, you know, cooling is obviously fundamental for electronics, right? Things have to be are, in a are, very... Are, are they water-cooled? They are definitely not water-cooled <laughs> because that stuff in space would, you know, solidify and completely destroy the components. Uh, I mean, I would definitely want to see a PC built. That goes with, to space? No, no. With, you know, with like SPF... One million, you know, cold, you know that that being, you know, the heat, <laughs> heat uh, paste over it. That would be that would be true if you if were a PC working in a vacuum, because you know again it's not just thermal radiation. You're dealing with convection, conduction. No, I That's mean that's a big problem. I mean just put it over uh, I nine. I if I were you, there is another thing that this. So what JWST uses to cool that you could use for a PC that cools it down to I think uh, seven seven kelvins. And how much is it? Uh, um, do, I have to, do I have to sell my liver, kidney, heart, brain, everything? Yeah, to, that to times it? probably 100 million because it costs $150 million to develop. I see. <laughs> but the point is, you know, cooling is extremely important. Just as much as preventing heat, you need to cool it down to right temperatures because the way it works, right, is that a majority of the instruments, so within the JBL, the actual satellite, right, they, they can work around 40 kelvins, right? And that's okay. the average temperature you get, you know, by the virtue of the design. Got it. Right? But specifically, there is one element or uh, rather one um, machine device known as the MIRI or the mid-infrared instrument that detects mid-infrared wavelengths, right? And this instrument can only work under 7 kelvins. Okay. So for that, you know, you would... It's called MIRI, the, like the... MIRI, M-I-R-I. Okay. Right? And, you know, while you might say, oh, just put a refrigerator, because that literally would do the job, right? You can't really do that right now, because... Uh, I mean, you can't do that in this case, because the problem with refrigerators, refrigeration in general, I'm not talking about just the fridge, I'm talking about industrial stuff, right? Is that this stuff works on compression motors. Okay. Right? And these things, again, they are extremely... They vibrate a shit ton, right? Okay. Lots of oscillations. And this stuff is, you know, absolutely... I mean, obviously, you know, you're recording precise points in space, you wouldn't want any vibration at all, right? So, so what may, they, So maybe, you know, give up on the cooling little bit? That's the thing. So you can't give up on the so cooling at so all in this case. No, so basically you have the five-layer shield, right? Hmm. You know, which is like trying to keep it above 7 million. 
you know keep it very you know seven kelvin yeah seven kelvin right mm. you know keep it keep this in a point which is not in the range of that um, shield so that cools down fast the no 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 see you, you're misunderstanding so the the shield the sun shield doesn't keep it under 7 kelvin it keeps it under 40 kelvin okay but you need this component this miri so it requires need, 7 kelvin okay function no you need to you know heat it also up how so because it needs to space is 2.5 right that's what you mentioned 2.7 2.7 correct right? so it needs to be heated and cooled at the same time to keep it between 7 and uh, 40 No, actually, so the the thing is, space is cool, but again, you're missing out that you know there is a the the sun, the thermal radiation. So that's from not the sun. A, so that's not exactly the space room temperature. No, it's the space. It's the dead of space. That's the room temperature in so, space. But the because but it's hotter, significantly hotter because not just are you dealing with thermal radiations from the sun, but you're also dealing f- slight amount from the Earth and the Moon. right because okay, of so okay, thermal radiation so let's you know be, you know in layman terms okay so mm. let's say <laughs> <laughs> i just put a you know i just take a industrial grade space thermometer mm. and you know keep it near the uh, telescope mm. what is the temperature going to be um on the sun side 140 degrees okay uh, past the sun side and the satellite side you get about 100, 40 okay since we're talking in kelvin since we're talking kelvin mm. but 140 degrees is That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> look, your math teacher is gonna be proud. Look, look, look. Shut up, okay. Four hundred thirteen. Four hundred thirteen. Oh, you're so smart. You can like add two numbers, and oh, I'm so jealous of you. Point is, it is you know it requires a certain temperature, and this specific instrument requires a. you know to be cool to 7 degrees and 7 degrees kelvin okay. right and you can't do this with traditional methods because they vibrate way too much so, so what are we doing so again you the the best way to solve this is you know 150 million dollars later jws3 engineers come up with a solution that provides minimal vibration at all and while providing that sweet 7k cooling cool. and they use it you know through a very simple physical phenomenon known as thermoacoustics right and essentially i'm going to draw this out for you so i'm going to make this really quick okay i promise this is going to be really quick okay mm-hmm. think of it this way you have a big chamber right and in this chamber the basic principle of thermoacoustics states that you know uh, acoustics or sound waves are again waves and yeah. these waves exert a certain amount of pressure under under the around the atmosphere that they that they're in right and this pressure that generates again generates heat right sound yeah basically <laughs> yeah okay again so essentially you know sound vibrations that are used to generate heat so basically electromagnetic induction so um, you know i've come across these very interesting you know um, contraptions right hmm. uh, so basically you place them in a noisy room or a meeting room right you know where people are shouting and shit <laughs> so apparently it can you know charge charge a device like it can power a device right. so actually um, a science fair or something i went to you know people had this so they played the loudest possible country music ever into a speaker <laughs> yeah. which had a, on the which had like a electromagnetic induction collector or whatever and that converted that got converted into like some sort of energy that was you know used to charge a phone because you know that is the most pos- plausible understandable mm. prototype that they right but something similar to that um to an extent yeah see you are you are kind of generating in this case 
you're not necessarily generating from a it's source. So basically, you're using a source yeah, to generate exactly. from. So you're not generating from like basically converts you something. Yeah, you're generating that something which gets converted to something. Got it, got it. Right. So thermoacoustics basically says you know you put sound and it compresses gas. Got it. Right. And essentially in this tank it's filled with super cooled helium. Right. This movement right essentially creates a region of high temperature in one side and low temperature low low temperature uh, gas helium gas in one side right and this so kind of replicates how tiles work basically basically how basically how tiles work and basically how um, compression motors work got it, got it. right except you're not generating any vibration because the vibration that's generated from the sound waves is cancelled out by another motor you got it right and basically the cold air is the cold part is taken out and it goes into cooling this mechanism the miri and the hot air is or the rather the hot gas is taken out and you know directly it's just conducted to the sun shield got it so so we're yeah. done with thermals yes we are done with thermals finally so we we've just you know produced a Linus Tech Tips video, but on steroids. On super steroids. So I'm saying, you know, you're going back to, okay, oh, I put this on my PC, and I said, you know, with just $150 million and yeah. the greatest scientific and engineering minds on earth, right? You can definitely get this. Definitely down. me. Definitely you. Yeah. Definitely me. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, you know, we've, we've dealt with the thermals, right? The, the hardest part of so the thing is... I'm going to ask you a very hmm. important question. No. A very, very important question. I decline to answer. How much is left? That is a good <laughs> question. That's a very good question. We're, because, we're because, we're, 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 because, you know, this is a very important question because, you mm. know, when Sanjay walked into the room, he came, <laughs> he came, he, he's, he came look, with like a seven-page PDF. Look, look, you filled, filled with like, look, te- in, filled with like text my, with like in my defense, 12 pixels. In my defense, it's a five-page PDF. That's like a seven-page PDF. It's five. We can clearly see five there. You are blind. I, I, I mean, look at look at the size of the the text. text. The, you're missing the point. It's five pages. It's not seven. No, it's clearly no, an empirical. Okay, it's, it's a seven-page problem PDF in your statement. If it's a, it's a seven-page PDF, if you increase the size to sixteen. No, I mean, that I, is, I, 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 I go through my designer you, It's a very relative, you know, scale of what people consider to be acceptable font sizes for reading. So you it's know, sixteen. I was, no, it's it's, it's sixteen. What is your point? Point is normal text is 16 and that is like 8 or you know 12. It's 14. That's on your iPad. You are so dumb. You know what? Let's move on to the next thing. And the next biggest problem rather that they had to solve, you know, calibration and weight, right? Now again, this thing. So again, uh, this thing is the, the entire thing itself is about 60 to 100 kilograms or 6.2 tons. Okay, the entire satellite. And, you know, you might say, oh, this is crazy amount for, like, you know, satellite. You have to understand that this thing is the... the, the wait, wait for the Indians out there. The what? KGs, please. What? KGs. KGs, what? I don't it's... get it. Six point, I said... I said, I said 6,200 kgs. No, you said 6.2 tons. I said, you know what? Let's see the recording because I 100% what said What the hell is Kyrgyzstani Soms? I don't understand what you're doing. Point is 6,200 kgs. Are okay. you happy? Okay. Okay. So 6,200 kgs, 6.2 tons, whatever, right? And the, you know, you might think this is huge. This was pretty big for a general, you know, telescope thing. But 
what is pretty remarkable about this is that unlike a previous telescope before it, you know, unlike its predecessor Hubble, right, which has, I believe, a 1.5 meter long collection uh, plane, right, basically the plane at which light is collected. Okay. This thing has a collection plane of six and a half meters, okay. right, which is enough to, long. again, crazy big, right, it's massive. And the point is, the way that they got this to work is, first of all, Let's talk about the actual collection, okay? The, let's talk about how they, they actually they, they actually collected, rather, the physical properties of this, right? So, again, you might be one of the biggest, like, uh, most distinct features about the uh, telescope itself is its hexagonal mirrors, right? It's consisting of 18 hexagonal mirrors okay. that are placed in two different layers, okay. right? And the reason why it was like this is because, first of all, to fit it inside that rocket, so they had to, first of all, pick the biggest rocket, right? To fit it in there, they had to bend this thing into three sides right so basically it's sort of foldable yeah so foldable. And or exactly it's an origami telescope okay. right and you know it's an absolutely crazy feat because this thing has to work perfectly in the dead of space right and it has to do that I mean, 1.5 million miles away i mean i worked on it it should work yeah actually yeah you yeah. did i'm surprised it works i mean no wonder it took 25 years to develop yeah. you were on it yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the point is, the point is, you know, the way they, they actually built it is one thing. They chose the hexagonal shape because it has really, it, it, it's very symmetric. It can, you know, fold and it can join together with very seamlessly. You got right? it. And the second reason why they chose, or rather, the second thing about this is that it can curve to change the curvature of got the it, overall it, structure. You know, you need 18 hexagonal So basically, things. it can work at different angles. Exactly, yeah, it can work it. at different angles and it can adjust itself, got it. right? And the composition of this, because again, you know, there's 18 different frames, you're talking about five times, approximately four times the size of its predecessor, right? You have to do it with a super, super light material. You can't use glass, right? So the way they built it was using Thin, thin strips of beryllium glass, technically not glass, but like a beryllium plate, a hexagonal beryllium plate. <laughs> and the biggest reason why they use this is because, again, beryllium, it's, you know, it's not a strongest steel, but it is rigid. It is, you know, it is much more resistant to um, malforming, right? It's called being malleable. I know you Not malleable, not malleable. It's, it's different. It's, it's a kind of different property. The point is, right, it is less likely to change its shape. It's rigid, okay. right? And over that, and over that, what they've done is over that single beryllium plate, they put a layer, a thin, tiny layer of gold, okay. right? And the reason why they put big gold is because, you know, it's not, gold is, first of all, it's not reactive at all. Second of all, the biggest reason why gold is because they want it doesn't, it shiny. They want shiny. And it also costs $40,000. But the point is, the biggest thing why gold is, uh, is there is because it is a very poor reflector of visible light, right? But it is a fantastic reflector of infrared light. And, you know, that's why it actually has a golden hue to it. Hey, hey what is that? What is that? Um, ninth grade um, atoms, dude. Um, Who? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Hey, uh, what is that? That's... Um, I don't remember the guy's name. We had like a, an ex experiment, right? Alpha... Uh, uh, Rutherford. Uh, gold foil experiment. Ha, gold foil experiment. What's the uh, guy's name? Rutherford. Rutherford. Rutherford, yeah. yeah. Gold foil. Yeah. That's a different reason why he used that. But uh, point is, right, um, gold was used because, again, it's uh, it reflects infrared light. Got and, it. yeah. And this works again. I'll tell you why it works once we get to the next topic. Optics. That's right. We successfully moved to our next topic within 10 minutes. 
right and i'm going to kill myself soon look, look look you got to understand this is this is some crazy shit all right see either i'm just going to walk out of here you can speak you can, <laughs> you can speak alone and complete it or you finish it up within 10 minutes guarantee 10 minutes start the timer wait there's already a timer look point is optics right that's the whole that's the whole reason why we here i mean how the hell does it generate images otherwise am i right you got to use light to I'm so sorry. I forgot. Yeah. I, I, this 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 was sponsored by Realme. We we have to use real. <laughs> you make, know what? They make ex- they make exploding phones. <laughs> they make exploding phones. Yeah, like one just one just you know sort of explode in my pocket. I like that. I agree with that. It should have it should have gone off, you know, and burnt your life. Okay, I'm just gonna walk out. No, no, no! Wait, wait, wait! Uh, come on, come on! This is this is really interesting. All right. Okay. See, the point is, you know, back to red shifting. Right. This is again a. light moving to low higher wavelength blah 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 the point is uh, you know the light that jwst observes is infrared that's been traveling for billions of years right you know it is basically you know it's 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 been traveling so far that it undergoes a significant amount of red shifting and you know as a result the you know it's infrared light and microwave light and that's why you have four different scientific instruments that record this stuff right and the reason why that um infrared light is also you know it's very convenient because it's really convenient for detecting extremely old celestial objects because infrared light has a property where it is you know it goes through gases and you know clumps ah, of objects I see middle. that's why remote have infrared they go through gases yeah that is congrats yeah. congrats yeah. woohoo but you know again why why gases because again have you you've seen the images of jwst right yeah. cosmic cliffs you see that there are a lot of these gases these gaseous looking things but you still see stars towards through them yeah, right yeah. the reason why you see those stars through them is because the infrared light can pass through got it this kind of this you know huge cloud got it right and you know essentially uh, you know focusing mainly on infrared light through again gold plates is also acts as a sort of filter because you're filtering out visible light got it right and yeah pretty much it's one of the biggest reasons why you know it's coated with gold and pretty much you know that's that's again so recording so you know getting the stuff first of all one okay. thing you have to okay wait wait hmm. so what have we completed until now so only only point only part of the telescope that is still left is right. a computer is a computing is a computing the computing of specifically the optics so we we we've covered how how the uh, how we keep it cool hmm. we've covered how it captures images through the gold plate which is extremely long and for she said uh i don't okay yeah and we've covered why gold and we covered the lighting now all we all all is left is how they captured off the gold plate See, um, they capture. Oh, so basically, they capture off the gold plate, as in. So think of it as this way. Okay, the the telescope, major telescope, although it's meant to act as one single component, right, is actually again it's eighteen hexagons. Yeah. And it's actually eighteen mirrors that act at once. So you always get eighteen no, so, images of if you're focusing. Let's no, say no, you're so focusing guess, on. No, but how do they capture it off the gold plate? It's it's just a gold plate, right? What do they? So, 
the first thing that they do, right, is again, if let's say you have a distant object over here, right, okay. that you want to capture, okay, you've recognized, oh, it's, so it's calculated, so it has to be here, right? So you point the telescope to that point, right? And the first thing that you do is capture light from there, right? As you capture light, obviously, it's going to be distributed among 18 different hexagonal okay. things, right? Uh, plates, right? So what happens then is that the light from this point is, you know, it's not focused at all because it's from 18 different plates. So what they do is they actually have behind every plate, there are six different actuators. Think of them as super giga motors, okay. right? And these actuators are actually, they invented these actuators because these actuators are so, so precise that they can allow for shifting of uh, to a minimum of seven nanometers worth of shifting. Got it. Right? It's absolutely just to adjust that tiny amount. And as they adjust slowly and slowly, you know, each, every single gold plate, all of that light gets focused onto one secondary mirror. Okay. Right? That secondary mirror... Has a captured mechanism behind it? Like No. That secondary mirror... So if this is the telescope... You've seen a telescope, right? Yeah, it yeah. has one thing and then one long antenna sticking yeah, out yeah. of it. Right? So the way those telescopes and all telescopes work, radio telescopes, right? Is that light reflects off that dish and it collects onto that tiny secondary mirror. Okay. Right? So similarly, in JWST, you have light from 18 different sources. They all get aligned and moved around and, you know, adjusted to focus on one single point. And that is the secondary mirror, right? That absorbs all, you know, information from 18 different sources, from 18 different perspectives into one thing, right? And that light is again shown through, shown as in like, passing yeah. shown through a third mirror, right? This, this secondary mirror, it again goes through another mirror. That's a, I think it's called an imaging or a shifting mirror, okay. right? And this shifting mirror essentially adjusts it for any wavefront um, disturbances, Right. And finally, this thing goes into the near cam. Got it. And near cam? Near? Reference? The, <laughs> near, near, near is a crypto thing that Bala worked for and it uh, went pretty well, if I have to say so myself. Let's not go there. <laughs> That's not for today. The point is, right, this is how it captures light from, you know, billions and billions of kilometers away. Okay. And that is, you know, pretty much it. And why did, you, why did you tell me all of this? Why did I tell you about this? Because it's freaking fascinating how this tech works. In the dead of space, they had to literally invent different things just for this one specific thing to work. And remember, this is a mission, right? That you can't repair like Hubble. So one of the biggest problems when Hubble first came out was that, you know, when they got first images from Hubble, the images were actually very blurry and not expected at all. Astronomers was pretty pissed, right? And it turned out, the reason why that, you know, this problem was there was because the mirror, right, what was getting the light was slightly off by about 50 nanometers, right? So all that, you know, effort just went away in 150th the thickness of hair and they had to send out a team of astronauts to repair it. But the JWST, again, it's in the L2 Lagrange point, right? You can't get someone to repair that. You can't send a team, right? You can't, at least a man vision. And we don't have the technology to send robots through the moon 1.5 kilometers away to fix it, right? So this all had to work on one crazy, insane bet. As a matter of fact, wait, just wait, to... Actually, hmm. one thing you never mentioned was hmm. when was the telescope launched? The telescope was launched on the 25th of December, 2021. Yeah, <laughs> that was very random. But the point is, right, it's, it's an absolute... It's, I think, the most beautiful thing about this entire mission is that it is simultaneously one of the most calculated risks yet the riskiest biggest risks that you can possibly take right 
bro, because bro i invested in crypto no, bro no understand <laughs> investing in crypto is nothing compared to this this is 10 billion dollars right and they calculated this and you know when the spacecraft blimps out right they calculated the risk of the sun shield not working to be you know 300 different points of error right 300 ways in which it could have failed right and they'd have nothing to do about it they can't do shit about it it's in space it's done any tiny if 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 a dust particle hit that shit dead got it so you know it's 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 a story about the biggest gambles that have ever been taken and it's a story about you know learning about the universe you know you know the biggest gamble i took not Let, wait 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 guys oh there's going to be a hilarious joke come on spill I, spill the beans i listen to you and that is and that is a rap on the newest episode bala any concluding words uh, nothing much hope you enjoyed guys see you next time bye bye